I think what we find here in coming to this, uh, this passage is, I think first, like, I think there's, there's a danger in getting all, all that we want, in getting our life's wish list kind of checked off, and getting all the things that we want to have. Um, there's a danger actually in, in progress. There can be a danger in progress. Progress isn't bad, having good things isn't bad in itself, but there's a, there can be a danger in, in how we strive to get them. Because we try and gain everything in our lives, by the time we get them, we've realized times maybe we've lost things that actually matter more. There's that cliched kind of trope of the hardworking office person, and they, they scrape and they scramble, they rise the ranks, they forsake everything, they get the promotion, they get the pay rise, the car, the house, the whatever the kind of stuff is. But then there's a moment they think like, oh, what's it all for? Like, there's a reason why that's a cliche. There's a reason why that works. Like, basically, you know, every romantic comedy, one character is like that, right? There's a reason why that connects with us. It's because we're swimming in the story of consumerism. And consumerism's story is one where the world is for our consumption. And so like, our job is to get the things. But in chasing that fake good news, we're left empty. And that's what it means to forfeit our soul, the way Jesus talks here. I don't say forfeit my soul very often in normal speech. Jesus does, but that's kind of what he means. It's that idea of forfeiting our soul. Forfeiting your soul doesn't start with some kind of grand gesture of signing a pact with the devil or something like um, I don't know if you know like the old blues musician Robert Johnson apparently he was so good at playing a guitar like how how'd you get to be so good and the myth of, like came about that he signed a pact with the devil like he's just like oh I'll, I'll give you my soul if you give me like amazing blues skills I mean it was just some kind of myth that he made about himself to make himself more famous um, but that's not really how it worked I've never made a pact with the devil uh, if you guys have talked to me we'll talk about that um <laughs> But really, like, forfeiting your soul happens in, like, little tears here or, like, a little bit of giving in over here, little fragments over here. It's more of a process like erosion. It just kind of slowly erodes away who we are, and eventually nothing will be left. So what Jesus is saying in these kind of difficult and hard verses is he doesn't want our souls to be eroded. Jesus wants us to experience the breadth of life, all that life has to offer. More importantly, Jesus wants us to know him, because actually to know Jesus is actually the most important thing in our lives. Like, we don't really live like that, but that is, that's what Jesus says is the most important thing. So we want our lives to matter, and so we do things that matter, and often they're good things, but in our fear of missing out on, on living our best lives, we fill them up with so many things that pale in comparison with actually knowing who Jesus is. There is no substitute to knowing Jesus. There is nothing that can come close to knowing Jesus. It's actually the most important thing, and to know Jesus means to be with him, and that means to follow him. And his path isn't always the easiest. And we'll talk about what that path looks like. In uh, last autumn, we went through the first eight chapters of Mark. And we looked at the identity of Jesus, um, about who he is, that he is a king, he is the king. And he came to earth in a way that nobody really expected, because just how Jesus said he would. And he took everyone by surprise. So we called it like the surprising king, because we kept on, kept on seeing how people who should really know better, who are religious or whatever, um, were like, wait, this guy, he's the king? I don't think so. So he was a very surprising kind of thing. So in the second volume, though, as we look to uh, from Mark 8.31 to the end of the, end of the book, um, we, we find that Mark kind of focuses more on what Jesus has done. So the first is like who Jesus is. The second is, is what he's done. And it's a lot about suffering. In fact, some people say like the book of Mark is basically the passion narrative, like Jesus' death and his resurrection with a really long prologue. So basically, we've been kind of involved in the prologue to his death. And from here on out, basically, Jesus faces Jerusalem, which is going to be where he'll suffer and die. And just to kind of orientate kind of where we are here, um, right before 
uh, Elspeth started reading, um, the, the kind of passage right before that is kind of Peter as the disciple, his high moment as a disciple. Because Jesus is like, well, Peter, who do you say I am? Peter's like, you're the Messiah, and which means king. And he's like, you're the king. And Jesus is like, yeah, that's right, that's great. And then he says, also, I'm going to suffer, and I'm going to die, I'm going to be rejected, and I'm going to rise again. And Peter's like, no, that's not what you're going to do. So in like a, a matter of like three or four verses, Peter is like, oh, like a prophet saying like, you know, complete truth all the way down to Jesus calling him Satan. It's like, get behind me, Satan. So Peter kind of de-escalates very quickly. Um, but Jesus seizes this opportunity to teach his disciples and the crowds around him, like what it means to follow him. So he's talking to the disciples saying, okay, Peter, you were great, but now you're Satan. Get behind me um, and kind of listen to me. But then he gathers the crowds to him uh, he says in, um, uh, in verse 31, um, he, he began to teach them the Son of Man must suffer all these things. Um, but then Jesus turned at his disciples. He rebuked Peter. And then there, the, verse 34, then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples. So he wants everybody to know this stuff. This is the kind of stuff he wants us to know about because we're part of those crowds. We may not have been there like, physically, but we're, we're there now as we read these words of God to us. And what we read is like the way of Jesus is the way of the cross. I don't want to hear that. I would rather it be the way of comfort, the way of, I don't know, fun stuff. It's not an easy road to take. It's not without pain. But it's the better road because that's where Jesus is. And the most important thing we can do with our lives is to be with him. So that's why Jesus warns us about progress. Not progress in itself, but our obsession with getting other th things other than him. It's easy to get sidetracked with good gifts. And instead of looking to the one who gives them, like we play with the toy as we turn our backs on the parent who gave it to us. And Jesus doesn't want to live that kind of small, inconsequential life. So in these verses, Jesus sets the tone for the rest of the series. It's basically like the question of what does it mean to follow Jesus? What is the way of Jesus? We're saying we're a gospel-formed family on mission. Like, What does that look like as we follow him? Uh, we find out Christ is honest. He's direct. He doesn't, say, doesn't kind of say, well, maybe it'll kind of be like this. No, he's pretty, he's blunt which is helpful. He's not out to fool anybody. In fact, he's giving us options to not follow him. He will give us more options to not follow him than to actually follow him sometimes. So Jesus' path is the way of the cross. So if we're going to follow him, that's going to be our path as well. So if you want meaning, Jesus is telling us what that path looks like. If you're starved for the spiritual, Jesus is telling us what that path looks like. And so we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at the way of the cross for Jesus, what it means for him to walk this way that he's telling us about. Then we're going to talk about the way of the cross for us, because leading a way and following a way are two different kinds of things. And then we'll talk about how Jesus talks about the end of the way. So let's first talk about the way of the cross for Jesus. Um, what does it look like for Jesus to walk in this path? He doesn't do it from an armchair kind of removed. Jesus jumps in head first. So on the heels of Peter, finally getting it, finally saying, oh, Jesus, you're the king. Jesus is like, yeah, you're right. Now let me tell you more because this is what the real king does. This is what a real king acts like. And I need to tell you this because it's a little different than what you've experienced in your life as what a king is like. You know, I need to suffer. I need to be rejected. I need to die. And not just suffering at the hands of bad people, but suffering at the hands of people who you look up to, who seem really righteous on the outside. But in the end, I'm going to rise again. So this plain way of speaking disturbed Peter as it should disturb us if we're taking these words as real, but we'll get to that in a bit. Um, but let's look at these, these things that Jesus talks about. He talks about suffering, rejection, and death. Um, so a fun way to start the sermon, right? Let's talk about suffering. Let's talk about rejection. Let's talk about death. That's where Jesus goes. That's where, that's where we have to go. Um, let's talk first about suffering. Um, 
So Jesus isn't just going to die. He's going to be tortured first. A crown of thorns will be on his head. The cross is like a slow death where you slowly suffocate. That's not very fun. There are nails in your hands, through your feet. It's a shameful death. And the first, it's the first century equivalent to the electric chair or lethal injection. You don't see very many people walking around with like electric chair earrings or lethal injection kind of like jewelry around. I think in some way we know the symbol, like we've heard the story, but that stops us from knowing and hearing the reality of what happened. And then there's the worst of it, which is the unseen suffering, where Jesus bore everything evil and wicked and dark and broken inside of us on himself. Every single one of us who follows Jesus, he bore it. Not just your past, not just your present, but everything you will do and things you don't even know that you've done because we're kind of ignorant. It's unfathomable. I mean, think of the shame. Think of the worst thing you've ever done in your life, the shame and the guilt that you felt just that one time. You're just one person. That Multiply that by billions. All that is on Jesus at the same time. What an amazing weight. It's unfathomable. And Jesus was also rejected. His people, God's people, didn't receive him as their king, of course. They didn't treat, they didn't treat him as their king. They wanted something or someone else. And Rome was the political occupying force of Israel. They didn't accept Jesus either. So the religious establishment and the political establishment both worked together to put an end to the God of heavens and earth. He was taken outside the city gates because it was shameful. He was out in the wilderness by himself. He was rejected also by the Father. This is something Jesus never experienced before. When Jesus is on the cross saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is an experience that Jesus has never or will ever experience again. This would be the worst thing for him to have ever experienced. And he died. He was dead for three days. The one who sustains all life had no life. How in the world does that work? I don't really know. That's a big, massive mystery. I don't get it, but it happened. Now, in all of this, it's not like Jesus is doing it for fun or, or chasing it down because he wants to show off. He says he must. It says um, in, in verse 31, he must uh, uh, suffer many things and be rejected and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Now, why did Jesus have to do this? Like, why? Surely the cross could have been like, you know, avoidable for the one who's you know, in charge of everything. Well, humans, well, I think the problem is like no one else could have done this. Um, humans, those people that God created and loved were in an impossible predicament. All of us were in an impossible predicament. We were lost and we didn't have the power by ourselves to find the way, so Jesus had to pave the way. And that meant clearing a path for us. And this path means our sins are forgiven. That means all that we've done, all that we'll do, everything that isn't aligned with the way of God can be forgiven. Now this path means the power of sin is destroyed. No more are we slaves to our desires. We actually get to serve God and walk in his way. This path also means we can have hope in the future. All might look lost, but we aren't lost because Jesus isn't lost and he's drawn ourselves to him. And all that meant a cost. There was a massive cost of that. It was a sacrifice of Christ taking on all that upon himself. And Jesus had to do this because he loves us with a love I think we kind of barely understand. I think we barely understand how much Jesus loves us. I think we think of God, or I think our first, if you're like me at all, your first thought isn't an overwhelming sense of complete and utter acceptance and love no matter where you are. Generally, I feel like I have to perform at some level in order to get that. That's not what Jesus says. 
Generally, I think like I have to you know, do something to prove my worthiness. That's not what Jesus says. Generally, I think like if I'm at least maybe on a path of normalcy and I've read my Bible that day or prayed that day or whatever, then that's like when I'm really close to Jesus. That's not what Jesus says. That's not what the Bible, that's not the gospel. The gospel is regardless of what we do with our lives, if we're found in Christ, God is completely overjoyed with who you are. He is so excited to know you. He is so happy that you get to experience the life, this world that he created for us to know that in a way that we can't know outside of being in God's love. He is overjoyed for us to be with him. There's no level of, there's no aspect of uh, some level of performance that God's like, oh, if you do this much, you're in. If not, I kind of care about you, but not really. That's just not how it works. I, I, I think, you know, I could kind of like repeat myself over and over, but um, I think the 1% that we do know of God's love is just enough to blow our minds. And there's so much more to know. The way of Jesus the king isn't what we would normally think. We think of a king, we think pomp, circumstance, lavish lifestyle, being fed grapes as like fanned by palm fronds or whatever, or at least having faithful subjects. The way of Jesus is the way of the cross, and he calls us to this way as well, but he's the one who goes first. Following is different than leading. He does all the work. We just get the benefits. That means the worst that can ever happen to you cannot destroy us. Like, Jesus has won the battle. The worst you could even think of happening is not, as worse, is not as bad as what Jesus did on the cross. Nothing can destroy us. Jesus has already won the battle. The worst that we can ever do to stop us from being with Jesus, the battle is his. He's won. So name your suffering. Name your sin. What you got? It pales in comparison with what Jesus has already done. Because Jesus knows it better than you do. That sin where you're like, oh, but if they really knew about this, Jesus knows that sin even more and in better and in like more complete than you do, and yet he still loves you and wants to lavish his love upon you. Jesus knows it better than you do, and he rescues us, and he forgives us, and he continually brings us to him. He saves us. That's amazing. This is what Jesus is talking about. So thankfully, Jesus rebukes Peter when Peter's like, no, Jesus, don't do that. She's like, you don't understand, Peter. If I don't do this, there is no hope. So he rebukes Peter. Right, so that's Jesus, um, what the way of the cross looks like for Jesus. It's, Jesus calls us to that same way, but it's different because we're following. We're not, we're not leading. So what does the way of the cross look like um, for us? So if the one we're following is going this way, like, that's where we go. That's the definition of what it means to follow. Jesus is basically telling us what it means to be a follower of Christ. What does it mean to be a disciple? That's what Jesus is saying. Uh, and there are a few things in here. Let's see kind of um, what God is saying to us. The, uh, if, if you have your Bibles there, we're going to look at um, verses, starting at verse 34, where Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple, here we go, whoever wants to be my disciple, this is what it looks like must deny themselves, take up the cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel, which is Jesus' news, will save it. So after chiding Peter, he calls the crowd to himself. He wants everyone to know about this. And it's these two verses in particular. So to be a disciple means we must deny ourselves. We must take up our cross. We must lose our life for Jesus and his message. What does that mean? We'll talk about that. And we must follow him. So we're going to just take, we're take these four things and kind of break down what they might mean. So deny ourselves first is to say no to us first, say yes to God. That doesn't mean we have to live this like ascetic monkish kind of life. That just means, actually how Elspeth talked about being generous, thinking of God first or others first before we think about ourselves. That's submission to what Jesus 
tells us how Jesus tells us to live. This goes against all of our first impulses because this world is for us to consume. It's for us to get better for ourselves first. Decisions we make, we make them for us first. And how does being a part of a church change our decision making? Submitting to God changes the jobs we take, the places we live, our time in the week. This might mean the first minutes of your day aren't taken up by your phone or by coffee. Maybe it's by actually reading the Bible, preferably with coffee so you can remember it. Or if the morning isn't good, you know, maybe you're like, the mornings are horrible. I don't even know how I even get to work in the morning. Somehow I do. Maybe it's the evening kind of reading Bible person that you are. Or maybe it's like your lunch break at some point. Either way, there's got to be some time where you are submitting your time to Jesus in some way, where you're actually living differently than if you would otherwise. I mean, what about our desires? Like, we have so many different kinds of desires. Some of them are good. Some of them aren't good. Some of them, we don't even know what's going on. How do we submit those to Jesus and to, to God, to how he tells us to live? So that's, uh, that's submission. Um, taking up our cross is suffering. Our fears really stop us from following Jesus in this path. We are afraid people will see us as weird or awkward, so we don't talk about Jesus, let alone kind of, you know, be exuberant about him. Um, even the small thing like, you know, posting on like social media or something like, uh, just I don't want to be that kind of weird Christian. I get it. I don't want to be a weird Christian either. Um, I probably am. I'm already I'm weird for other reasons. Uh, we, uh, but the thing is, I don't, we don't actually suffer for Jesus. Not because we're suffering, but because we fear what suffering could be. So we never actually get to the point of suffering because we're always afraid of it. it. Like, it blocks us. But what are we really afraid of? I mean, did we hear that first point, like, that Jesus went to the cross for us and therefore like, there's really nothing to fear? Jesus has already paved the way. If we aren't prepared to suffer for Jesus, we're actually going to miss out on him coming through for us in our time of need. We're going to miss out on what it means to be a fully formed disciple because Jesus is telling us this is what it means. Now, I'm not saying we're going to like go and choose to like go search out how to be a martyr or how to like how to suffer for like it's just as we live out the gospel in our lives either in speech or in our actions there will be suffering that will happen we don't have to search for it It, it, it'll be there but we have to live out the gospel with our lives and use our words for it and if that's not happening um, we're just missing out on what it means to be a fully formed disciple according to jesus Jesus also says, oh, that wasn't like difficult enough. He also says, losing their life for him and his message. And that's the mission, basically. Do we know Jesus loves so much that we'd be prepared to give up our life for it if need be? Thankfully, we don't live in a society where that's the case. When Jesus is writing this, it was very real. And there are plenty of places in the world where that is real. Now, Jesus, again, he doesn't say like search after suffering. He's saying this to us. Following the king of life in a world of death means things are not going to be easy. You'll be tempted to not follow me. You'll be tempted to think that that's a better and easier life for you, but that means you're going to miss out on the most important thing in the world, which is knowing Jesus. And so mission, sometimes we talk about, oh, what does it mean to, like, you know, the, the positive aspects of what it means to be on Jesus' mission? But, uh, I mean, suffering and, like, losing your life, that's not a very positive aspect, but that's exactly how Jesus is describing his mission. It's, a, it's about suffering. And then following Jesus is a constant thing. It's ongoing. It's not just events. It's more than just you know, the hour or so that we have here. It's more than uh, like a Sunday and a missional community. It's an ongoing, constant way of life. And it takes time for this to get in deep. 
And Jesus is more patient with us than we are with ourselves. It takes time for that. Um, and that's kind of, I think, how it's supposed to be. It's just a patient process. That's why we, as a church, don't invest uh, the majority of our time and money in our lavish Sunday worship gatherings, <laughs> as uh, surprising as that might be to hear. I'm, I'm happy for Sunday to get more immersive. I'm happy to spend more time and money for Sunday to be a better experience, worshipful experience for us all, but only if it serves the mission that Jesus is talking about here. And Sundays are important, of course, like missing the chance to worship together on a Sunday is kind of a detriment that week. But it's not the only thing, right? We have missional communities who kind of live life like this throughout during the week. We have core groups, which are like smaller groups of two to three people like going in deep with each other. Um, we have friends, it doesn't have to be some kind of organized thing, just friends over coffee at the pub. It could be even something as simple as like sending WhatsApp messages to each other. By the way, if you're not, um, in a core group or a missional community or whatever, or if you just kind of don't have anything um, to read at the moment, there's free books back there at the resource table that will get you kind of deeper into what Jesus is talking about here. And not only just with us, but the people who we love who don't know Jesus yet, and we want them to experience this kind of life. How are we bringing them into the community and loving them and serving them the way Jesus is describing here, in that kind of submissive servant kind of way? So that's what it means to be a disciple. It's very easy to not be a disciple. We can just not do this stuff and not be a disciple. That's where we drift. We can affirm ourselves, which is not submitting to God. We can leave our cross, which is to not suffer. And we can follow any other path. And there are lots of other paths out there to follow. Like, that's very easy to do. I am tempted to do that every single day. Like, every single morning. Even on Sundays where pastors are really holy, you know? There's an easier life, right? There's an easier life to live but it's less meaningful. The path that we all want to take isn't going to give us the thing that we think it's going to give us. And Jesus wants to save us from that because there isn't any life in all those other paths, in all those other ways of living. There isn't any life there because that's not where Jesus is. The way of the cross is the way of Jesus, and there's just no getting around it. Though, we're like Peter, and we go and try and search for a shortcut. We hear these words even now, and we're like, Jesus, surely, do you have that right? Like, I'm good for like maybe 50% of that. Like, what about the other 50% where I could just kind of, you know, do my own thing? I mean, you gotta love Peter. He's the one who like says stuff we're all thinking about. We all have that friend who's like, ah, you never question what they're thinking because they always say it. Um, I mean, in verse 29, it looks like a hero. In verse 32, he rebukes Jesus. And in verse 33, Jesus calls him Satan. Um, But we're just like him because we hear these hard things. We're like, surely there's another way. We try and find some other way, some kind of shortcut. Now, Peter rejects the idea of the cross being worth it or meaningful. He's like, no, that is not, I don't understand that. That's not the way to go. And we do the same thing. This is the difference between what Jesus says, the concerns of God and the concerns of man. When Jesus rebukes Peter he, and calls him Satan, basically, he didn't say Peter all of a sudden turned into Satan. It's like he had this spirit of the Antichrist, an evil one in him. And he says to Peter, he says, you don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Man, isn't that us? We have merely human concerns all the time. The concerns of man have no room for the cross. There's no room for suffering in the concerns of man. It's a flight from the way of Jesus. But there are no shortcuts on this way. An example of this, maybe I should say a, a bad example of this, is um, Israel in the wilderness. So Israel, where they were uh, slaves in Egypt, God freed them, 
uh, from their slavery to a promised land, but there was this period of 40 years where they was running around in a circle in the desert, not yet in that promised land that God called them to. And that's that wilderness area is kind of akin to the way of the cross, like not really knowing what is going on, asking what in the world is going on. Like if, if you do, a, if you're a nerd, a, a Bible nerd, like one person that I know, um, <clears throat> Um, and you do like a word search on the, all the words that uh, Israel uses to address God, you'll find grumbling is like one of the top of the list. It's like, how was Israel described going through the wilderness? Were they worshipful? Were they thankful? Were they grateful? Literally food rained from the sky. Like what in the world? But they were grumbling the whole time. Just moaning. They wanted to go back to their slavery. They're like, yeah, this is all good, God. But actually, no, it was really good when we were slaves because we got like fish. Like, as if that's a good reason to be a slave. They were disobedient. They were acting like spoiled rich kids. They were freed. They did not understand their freedom. They didn't like their freedom. They didn't enjoy their freedom. But this is us, right? The slightest hint of suffering. I mean, we get like a little paper cut. We're like, why, God, why? You don't love me. You've left me. In the wilderness places, in the silent places, I think that's where God speaks in different ways. And Jesus is there walking the way of the cross. Jesus does what Israel or us couldn't do. He is actually obedient. In that wilderness place, and that way of the cross, he submits, he suffers for the mission, for his, with his whole life, ongoing. And so we need to embrace the way of the cross for ourselves. Following Jesus means that's where we're going to find him. So if we aren't with Jesus now, how can we expect to be with him at some other time and some other place? And though we're all like Peter, we all want to flee from this way because it's much easier to live in some other way. Our Lord didn't run away. Jesus was always faithful, is always faithful. Faithful to walk with us as we journey on this way to the cross and faithful to call us back to his path when we've lost that way. So he's faithful when we're on the path and he's faithful to us when we're off the path, calling us back to it. So following is not a call to perfection. I love that word following because it doesn't mean, uh, you know, getting straight A's or, you know, smashing it. It just means like you're on the same path, the same trajectory, and you will all get there. And like all paths, though, there is an end. And this is what Jesus talks about uh, as he talks about the end of the way of the cross for himself. So the end of the way is in verse 31, where Jesus says, he must be killed and after three days rise again. For Jesus, the way of the cross doesn't end in death, even when he dies. Like the way of the cross ends in new life. And this is completely upside down to our experiences and the world. For us, the end of the way of the cross isn't in death, even though we're all going to die. If we follow Jesus into death, we're going to be found in his new life. So the biggest benefit to all of this is we get life. We don't forfeit our souls. I don't want to forfeit my soul. Like, just say someone random on the street, would you like to forfeit your soul? No one's going to say, yeah, why not? Like, what do I get out of it? You get death. Okay, cool, yeah, sounds good. No, we don't want that. We want life. So we get to not forfeit our soul, if we listen to what Jesus is saying here, and we also get new life. Jesus is life. Life in its fullest sense. Life in full, not only now, but in the future. And until then, we have this thing, this, this person living inside of us called the Holy Spirit, which is a down payment of things to come. Ephesians 1, uh, 13 and 14 says this. When you believed, you were marked in him, in Jesus, with a seal. What is that seal? The seal is the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit 
guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So when you believed, you were marked in Jesus with the Holy Spirit, who now we get to experience completely, and one day in the new heavens and earth, we'll get to experience in a way that we can't even really fathom. So this down payment is God himself in our lives. How can we possibly live the life Jesus has called us to? I can't live this way. I can't submit this way. I don't really care about God that much. I care about myself. How can we possibly live with the submission and humility required while on a mission that we cannot handle or even like finish ourselves? Of course we can't do this by ourselves. That is like literally the point. That's why Jesus came. Jesus has not only secured a new life in the future, he sent his Holy Spirit to secure new life now. So the life we now live, we live in the Spirit as we walk this way of the cross. This empowers us to live through suffering, any kind of suffering we can imagine. It empowers us to live in submission. It empowers us to be able to say yes to God and no to us and live on his mission with our whole lives. What an amazing benefit. There's no other way to live this life. What an amazing benefit, especially as we look to the consequences for not walking in the way of Jesus, for fleeing this way. We lose our souls that we might gain the whole world. The thing we learn from that is the world isn't enough for us. You could gain the whole world and it still wouldn't be enough. You would still be starved. Your souls would be forfeited. You would live a very small life with a small mission. So Jesus doesn't call us to walk the way of his cross because his cross is unique. His cross was that unbearable, unfathomable thing of our sins and his death and his resurrection in our life. Because Jesus walked the way of the cross, through that brought life to everyone who follows him. He didn't say it would be a good idea for us to do, to, do, to walk his cross. No, he's the one who did it. In fact, he suffered things that we who follow him will never have to suffer. His experience of the way was way more intense than ours ever will be. So when it's difficult, know that Jesus has been in worse places. And he's with us now and enables us to get through any kind of difficult place because we now have the Holy Spirit. It's his death that we remember at this table. His body is symbolized by the bread. And his blood is symbolized by the cup. The way of the cross for Jesus meant death. And with that, the death of our sins. But that's not the end. The end is life. We eat to, be, to have our life sustained. Life that we get to live in now is through the Holy Spirit. Now he calls us to follow him and walk the way of the cross. So if that's you, for everyone who walks this way of the cross, for everyone who follows Jesus, you're welcome to come up here. You don't need to be a member of Redeemer. Um, you don't need to be a member of, of our church, but you do need to be a follower of Jesus. If you don't follow Jesus yet, please don't come up, because basically coming up means saying to God, I'm following you. I'm on your way of the cross, and I need you to sustain me because I can't do it myself. So this table is for those who walk the way of the cross. We bring our mistakes. We bring our guilt. We don't actually come with empty hands. We come with hands like full of all the things that we're not good enough with, and we get to give them to Jesus. And we come away sustained by him because we have the Holy Spirit working in our lives. So we bring our well-intentioned objections like Peter. 
We bring our rebukes as well, and we leave them at the cross as we come to his table. We bring our need for the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. So as we eat and drink, we are depending on the Spirit in our lives now. And as we look forward to one day, one day, everything will be made new. But until then, we walk the way of Jesus. We walk this way of the cross. Let me pray.